Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Welcome to Mercy Hill. Uh, we're a people of God who love to worship and sing His praises. We also love hearing from His Word. And so this morning we are going to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're continuing on in our series in 1 Corinthians. So this is week number 14. We've got a few weeks ahead of us, but we're excited to be in God's Word. One of the things that we've really felt from the very beginning of this church is that God's Word would have a place of priority over everything else that we do. And so we submit ourselves to God's Word. We worship the Lord through singing, but we also worship the Lord through submitting ourselves to His Word and taking His Word seriously and putting it in a place in our lives where we, we come before God's Word and we ask God to continue to speak and transform us and to conform us to more like himself. And we see that in his word. And so we're so grateful for God's word this morning that um, continues to speak to us and challenge and change us. All right, so we're at 1 Corinthians this week, chapter 10. We'll be in verses 23 through um, the end of the chapter. <clears throat> My wife, Michelle, uh, happens to make the most delicious carrot cake that you've ever had. Now, the thing about carrot cake is the idea that there's actually carrots in the cake kind of put people off from the get-go. And, you know, I don't like any desserts that have vegetables in them. You know, like pumpkin pie, I don't like it because there's pumpkins or some kind of pumpkin thing in the pie, right? Or zucchini bread, right? There's... I don't know if there's zucchini in there, but I just don't like it because it's got zucchini bread, right? So, but Michelle's carrot cake is absolutely amazing. It's delicious. It, it doesn't taste like carrots. It's um, everything you'd want a cake to be. It's absolutely amazing. Now, when we talk about glorifying things, right, we talk about glorifying things we're going to talk about today, we do this all the time and we don't even realize it. We talk about glorifying things. We... we, we we have a good experience at a restaurant. We, have a, a, we get a good uh, deal at a store. We go to a Blackhawks game. There's all kinds of stuff that we spend talking about that we bring glory to. And so as we dig into God's word today, we're going to talk about um, glorifying God and all that he is. But before we get there this morning, just in the previous few verses, so the way that we here at Mercy Hills is we prioritize God's word, and so we will go through God's word verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And that's important to us because we want to hear the whole counsel of God's word. One of the easy things to do as a preacher is to, is to stick to the stuff that's a little bit, you know, kind of easier to get through because we can, we can make sermons about that. But as we go through God's word, it forces us to deal with things that we might not otherwise want to deal with. But yet it's there in God's word. And so oftentimes people say to me, hey, when are we going to talk about this subject? And my reply is, look, as soon as God's word brings it up, we'll talk about it. Because we have an opportunity as we go through God's word, chapter by chapter, that eventually those things will come up and we'll have to deal with them. So in looking at the previous few verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul's talking to a people who are, who are submersed in idolatry. Idolatry in Israel, it was... Um, 
Israel had experienced the tremendous blessings of God while they were in the prom- while they were moving to the promised land. His provision of deliverance from slavery in Egypt to the provision of food in the wilderness to water that came out of rocks. I mean, God provided for them in, in the most supernatural, amazing ways, time and time again. But yet, they all fell away because of idolatry. And oftentimes we think about idolatry as being something that the people in the Old Testament did. That was something that people in the past did that really has no, no bearing on us today. But I want to show just a quick picture of when the missions team was in India last month. Uh, they were into a store, and at the store it was literally an idol store. You could go to the store and buy an idol for yourself. And so they had pictures of all these idols. I think they had little, they had little statues and stuff. I mean, any kind of idol you would want or could imagine, they had available to you to purchase. So preaching this text in, in the context of India, I mean, you could just preach this word for word and say, okay, guys, let's just do what it says. We don't have to make any kind of cross-cultural connections here. This is just, it is what it is. So idolatry is something that does have an effect on us today. In parts of the world, it has a... a a mass effect. But for us, Paul's saying, look, this, this idea of idolatry, of trusting in something other than Jesus Christ, and the supremacy of Jesus Christ in your lives are incompatible. So he's talking about going to a temple, having, participating in temple sacrifices and the, the rituals and festivities. He says, as a believer, those rituals and festivities at the temple are incompatible with the supremacy of Jesus Christ in our lives. Now, in this, in this section, because then in verse 21, he says, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Jesus Christ is to have absolute supremacy in our lives over everything. Our trust is to be in him alone for our salvation, for our lives, for our everything. There's nothing else that's to have any hold or place in our lives like that. Now, we move in the the rest of this chapter. Now, we move from the temple and into the home. So let's begin to read verse 23 in chapter 10. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of the conscience. For the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you, and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I gave thanks? So, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be 
saved. Now, what's the, what's the, 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 the crux of this text? What's the, the foundational verse in this text? It's verse 31. It's the bottom line of the text. And you really, this is probably, you could say, you could probably argue, it's the bottom line of all the scriptures. Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. That's it. That's the foundation. That's the bottom line. That is the thing that Paul is getting to. He's driving home that whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God. Now, what does the word glory mean? How do we glorify something? What does it mean to glory in something? And usually we think of you know, glory in, in a negative sense, like that film glorifies violence or that song glorifies you know, inappropriate relationships or whatever it may be. But the word glory means to light something up brilliantly, to give public praise, honor, and fame. Now, I've got some friends of mine and dear friends of mine who are season tickets to, they have season tickets to the Bears, all right? Now, they're not just any season ticket holders, all right? They go in this huge RV, all right? Now, this isn't any ordinary RV. This is the Chicago Bears RV. It's got a huge Chicago Bears head on the side of the RV, so everyone will know that we're Bears fans, okay? So they bring this RV to the Bears games, and with that comes lots of preparation because we're not going there just to participate in the game, man. We are all in. There is food that needs to be prepared. There are coolers of, you know, old man beer that needs to be drank. There are all kinds of conversations, and there's celebration, and there's preparation. There's investment. There's a sense of community there is a costliness to this thing because the tickets are over $100 a piece. You've got to park the RV. I think that's over $100. There is food. I mean, this is a huge, massive undertaking that takes place every single week. Now, it's all for a Bears game, right? I'm a Bears fan, but it's all for a bunch of losers, all right? <laughs> there is a sense of reveling in the Chicago Bears. And... Whether people would actually say it or not, there is a sense that they are glorying, they are glorifying the Chicago Bears. It's on their clothes. It's on their RV, for goodness sake. It is, and everything they talk about is, is in what they prepare for all week long. And I've gone to a game with them before. If it's a noon game, you're on the road by 6 a.m. and you're not getting home till probably after 9 o'clock at night. This is an all-day adventure. Now, it's good food. I mean, it's, a, it's it, enjoy going. I'm not down on going to Chicago Bears games or anything like that. But there is a sense in which there is a glorifying in the Chicago Bears. Now, what does God's word have to say about glorifying God? Habakkuk 2.14. You have to turn there because we'll be, we'll be sitting here all day looking for the, for the book of the Bible. It says this, for the, earth is, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That is God's promise to us. That the earth will be completely covered in every way possible with the knowledge of the the grandeur and the majesty and the goodness and the faithfulness and the power of Almighty God. Now, 
God invites us to participate with him in revealing the glory of the Lord on this earth. He's on a mission to spread his glory to all the peoples of the earth. That everyone would know his name. That everyone would see how great and glorious that every, that every continent, that every country, that every people group, that every town, that every little village would have a testimony of who Jesus Christ is. And by the way, Jesus says when that happens, Matthew 24, then the end will come. When that happens, the end will come. At some point, at some point on this earth, one person will be telling another person about who Jesus Christ is. And the trumpet will sound. The sky will be rolled back. And Jesus Christ will come in, in all his glory. That, that will happen at some point. And the revelation of his majesty and his glory is what you and I have been called to do with our lives, with all that we are. See, when we believe the good news of Jesus Christ, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, when we have repented of our sins, Jesus Christ came and he completely and utterly transformed us, gave us his spirit, called us by his name, brought us into his family, and he said, I've got a, I've got a job for you to do. I've got a purpose, a mission for you to do, and that purpose and that mission is to reveal the glory of who I am across all the earth. That is what I've given each and every single person who calls me their, their Lord and Savior. That is what I've given them to do. That is each one of our responsibilities. That is what, God's, that is what God has set us free to do. The good news is not that we just are saved, we're going to heaven, but that he has got a beautiful and wonderful job for us to do while we're here. And it's the expansion of his glory across the earth, across every people. Now, getting back to Corinth, because we're going to see how does that, how do we do that, right? It's one thing, it's, it's a nice big idea. Spread the glory of God across the face of the earth. But how do we do that in our lives? How do we do that today? Well, let's look what Paul was dealing with in Corinth. So, He's got this slogan that we start off with in verse 23. If you look with me, he says, all things are lawful. He says that twice. All things are lawful. It's like this bumper sticker that was on the back of their chariots, okay? All things are lawful. I can do whatever I want, right? But he asked this question. Is it helpful? Does it build up? Is this something that's going to be for the good of my neighbor, These questions must be asked of the way in which we conduct our lives. Because we no longer live for ourselves, we live for the Lord. We've been saved and redeemed and ransomed by the Lord. And therefore we need to ask these questions because we no longer live for ourselves. Is the way in which I live my life, is it helpful? Does it build up? Does it encourage? Is it, does it help strengthen my brothers and sisters around me? See, for me... The issue isn't necessarily knowing what is helpful for others, because I can imagine what would be helpful. If it's helpful for me, it's probably helpful for other people as well. It's not that if I just knew what was helpful, then I could actually do that. It's, the issue for me is that 
I'm concerned with my own self-preservation. I'm concerned with my own, what is this, what's going to cost me to be a blessing to other people? How much is it going to cost me? How much of my time and energy is it going to, is it going to absorb for me to be able to help other people? So, for instance, when someone asks you to help, help them move, right, we usually don't say yes and then clear our calendar. Usually there's some kind of internal cost analysis, if you will, right? Well, how much time is it going to take? How much stuff do they have? Are they an organized people? You know, is food going to be involved at some point of the day? Right? We all do that, maybe except for Brett and Yemi, but the rest of us do that. See, the knowledge isn't my problem, it's selfishness. Selfishness is my problem. See, it's, it's selfishness that keeps me from, from fully giving myself to really seeing the glory of the Lord expanded across the earth. It's not that I don't know what would be helpful for other people, it's that I'm too selfish and too concerned with my own, what's it, what's it going to cost me personally that prevents me from being a blessing to other people? It's the reason I don't send that letter or write that email or spend time encouraging or asking questions or inviting over or spending time with it. It's, it's really my own preferences and my own comfort level that I'm concerned with. And the law of love means this that my concern is placed upon what's best and beneficial for my neighbor. That is the law of love. What can I do that will be most beneficial and a blessing to my neighbor? People sitting around me, the people that live around me. That's the question that needs to be asked. Now, in Corinth, there were two kinds of people that Paul begins to address. So in verse 23, we see this. He asks this question. You know, all things are lawful. So the one person Paul's beginning to address in the Corinthian church is someone who's licentious, right? And the next person he begins to address is licentious, their cousin, legalist, all right? So licentious person, all things are lawful, right? Who cares how I live and how it affects other people? It's my right, it's my freedom to do as I wish. It's my freedom to live the way I want to live, right? It, it's my right, I can do as I please, when I please. That's the licentious person. I don't care how it affects anyone else because it's about me and my rights and my freedom. That's licentiousness. Now, the cousin is legalist in verse 28. Legalist begins to raise all kinds of questions, right? Is, are you really going to eat that meat? I mean, don't you know where that came from? I mean... You know that guy's friends with the butcher who's friends with the, the, the guy at the temple. I mean, that, that meat probably came from the temple. Don't tell me you're gonna, you call yourself a Christian if you're going to not ask any of those questions about where this meat came from. I mean, surely good Christians would never eat that kind of meat from that place, with this home, with these people. Surely th- that's not what you're going to do. I would never do that. And so there's legalism. But the question doesn't become what I should or shouldn't eat, or is that my freedom or not my freedom? The question should be, be how does it affect my neighbor? Right? Because those two things, both the, the, the central aspect is really concern for your own self. 
It's my freedom, or I can't believe you would do that. Ourselves become the, the, the central driving force in those things. But the law of love says, man, what, what in, in the way I live my life, in the way that I conduct myself, the way that I, that I act at parties and the food that I eat or the people that I'm with, how does that affect my brothers and sisters? That is the law of love. Now, he brings it down to a level of eating and drinking. Two of the most mundane and ordinary tasks of life. You might as well just said breathing, right? This is, but his point is this, that the, the very contours of our lives, the very contours of the, the mundane things of our lives can be used to advance the glory of God. That in everything that we do, we have an opportunity to glorify and honor the Lord. Glorifying and honoring God is much bigger than a Sunday morning experience. We can so often think, well, you know, we say, hey, welcome to Mercy Hill Church. We're here to glorify and honor the Lord, which is true. But glorifying and honoring the Lord is much bigger than 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. Much bigger. We honor and glorify God in, in what we sing and how we submit to his word, but also in the way in which we drive home from church, and the way we eat our food for lunch, the way we watch the bears lose on a Sunday afternoon. I mean... Everything that we do can be given for the glory of the Lord. It's much bigger than a Sunday morning. And so this passage brings the glory of the Lord outside of the realm of just what's in it for me or how do I do that personally only for myself because this is about loving our neighbor. And the way in which we bring glory to the Lord, and I I think from this text you can see this, the way it's, it's affected by our community. By the way in which we love one another is how we glorify the Lord. So as we think about glorifying God in our lives, we may think, well, it's going on a missions trip. It's, you know, reading my Bible in private. It's, it's, it's prayer, you know, when, when I wake up to go to work or, you know, whatever. Those things are good. But Paul is addressing some kind of relationship here between one another. He says, look, if you want to know what it looks like to glorify God and see his glory expanded across the face of the earth, then take account of the way in which you, to, you treat one another and the way in which you encourage one another, and build one another up and spend time helping one another out in these areas because that's the way in which we're going to see the glory of the Lord expand across the earth. And it almost makes it much simpler and much more kind of practical, if you will, than anything else. Because we can go on a missions trip where it's fantastic. It's great. That's a week or two out of the year. We can spend time singing praises on a Sunday morning, which is great. But it's much bigger than that because we need to ask, how does it affect my neighbor and what I do? Now, when we first launched Mercy Hill Church, the youth group at Living Word Church, which was the sending church for uh, Mercy Hill, the youth group said, hey, we, wanna, we want the, the members of Mercy Hill Church who are being sent out to come to a youth meeting, and we're going to pray for you guys. So I'm like, okay, that's cool. We'll, we'll go to a youth meeting. We'll, we'll see prayer, and you know, we need all we can get. And uh, so we're at this meeting with all these youth, with all these students, and we're sitting there, and, and the guy sitting next to me um, is this guy, his name is Matt Harnish, and he's sitting next to me, and, we're, you know, we're getting ready to be sent out as a church. This is a big, this is a crucial moment in the church, and 
and we're singing songs. We're going to sing for a little bit, and then we're going to pray. And so we're singing, and, and you know, we're just kind of like, Lord, help us. We're singing kind of thing. And this dude next to me, this like 15-year-old kid, is sitting next to me with his hands raised, and he's crying out to Jesus with, with all of his heart. And I look over, I'm like, man, this guy's going for it. And I begin to think, like, the Lord is worthy of everything that I am. I mean, I'm, my heart's being stirred just seeing this guy worship the Lord. I'm like, man, this guy is going for it. Man, he's not holding back. Man, he's, he's encountering something in Jesus Christ right now. As I'm sitting there like, you know, doing one of these, like, okay, we're going to sing and stuff. And he's just going for it all out. Sweaty, passionate worship. I mean, it's awesome. And it, it stirs something up in me. Lord, are you worth it? Are you worth that kind of expression of worship? And it, it does something inside of me. It, it stirs me up, causes me to begin to, to cry out to Jesus. Stirs up a, a love for him, thinking like, look, if this 15-year-old kid can worship Jesus like that, man, what's it say about what I, Lord, what you deserve from me? And it stirs me up and it stirs my affections for the Lord. And here he is. He doesn't look over at me and say, hey, look, bro, I'm going to love you right now by worshiping the Lord. He just goes for it. And in doing that, it stirs an affection within me for more of the Lord, which in what he's doing, he's building me up, and he's glorifying the Lord through that. I'm being affected by the way he's worshiping. I'm being affected by the way he's living his life. My heart's, my heart's turning towards the Lord. My heart's being softened towards Jesus Christ. My spirit's being stirred on the inside. And he's, he, Matt, was loving me, building me up, encouraging me in the Lord without him ever saying a word to me. He didn't have to say, bro, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to encourage you right now. Just watch me worship, right? He didn't say that. He just loved me through the way he loved the Lord. Look, you and I can do that in so many different ways. Man, in every area of our lives, at work, at home, the way we parent our children, the way we treat our spouse, the way we speak to our loved ones, the way that we interact with one another here on a Sunday morning, outside of Sunday morning, has a profound impact. We think about the glory of the Lord being expressed across the face of the earth. It's done through little interactions with one another that build each other up that bring glory to the Lord. This is what God has called you and I to. And you know what? I've often found this, that loving someone is pointing them towards Jesus Christ in the simple little ways. And oftentimes, it's costly. It means me giving up my time. It may mean me giving up my resources, me giving up my energy, me giving up, just even taking time to think about what would, what would be beneficial for other people. But that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. Philippians chapter 2 talks about Jesus Christ taking the very form of a servant, giving his life. This is what Jesus Christ has done. He has purchased our freedom and the ability for us to love other people this way 
through his life and death and resurrection. That is exactly what Jesus Christ has done and exactly what he has purchased for us on the cross. God is using weak and broken and inadequate vessels like you and I to spread his glory across the face of the earth. Paul closes this section in verse 33. It says, Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. See, our ultimate good, the ultimate good, the ultimate glory, is seen in Jesus Christ on the cross. As we love the people around us and advance his glory, it's for their good and that they would know the Savior, this precious Savior who's given us life, that they would know Jesus Christ and that the glory of God would be advanced in everything that we do. Let's pray. God, we thank you this morning that you have laid your life down for us, that we could be set free to love one another. Lord, you have first loved us. Now we can love you in response in our neighbors. Lord, I pray today that even as we close here, even as we celebrate communion in the way your body was broken for us, God, I pray that you would, you would speak to us. God, you'd give us that little nudge, that little understanding, God, of what we can do in response, how we can love one another, and that we would truly see your glory, that the knowledge of your glory, O oh God, would spread across this earth as the waters cover the sea. Amen.